All right, well, if you'll open your Bibles with me, this is our last week together in the book of 1 John. We're going to pick up today where we left off last week, so we'll be in chapter 2. If you want to turn there, we'll be starting at verse 12. Last week, we looked at five ways we could know that we know God. John gave us, uh, he gave his readers assurance of their salvation. We said that those five things were if we keep his commandments, right? If we keep his word, we said this was his word for us. If we walk in his ways, if we are in fact being changed, and if we love our brother, And now we come to this passage where John, remember he's writing to Christian believers here to encourage them, and he wants to remind them of who they are in Christ. So let's start with 12 through 14 this morning. Follow along with me in your Bible, and if you don't have it with you, um, we'll have it on the screen. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. So John is reminding his readers who they are. Well, who are they? Number one, they are forgiven. We saw that in verse 12. He's reminding them, hey, you're forgiven. Number two, they know God. He said that multiple times. They know God. They know the Father who is from the beginning. Number three, they have overcome the evil one. Number four, they are strong. And number five, the word of God abides in them. It lives in them. I love that last one. Does the word of God abide in you? Does it dwell in you? Do you spend time in it, you know, really good time? Or or do you have one of those apps that gives you like a verse of the day or something like that? I don't mean to make fun, but it's the word of God. Last week, we talked about the fact that the Bible itself claims to be the very word of God. That this was not a claim that the Christian church made up at some point time or another. We didn't just go around and start saying, oh, this is the word of God. No, the Bible itself claims this is the word of God. Well, if that's true, you don't treat this book, you know, like the comics in the back of the newspaper. You just, you know, jump to your favorite one or or look for something that jumps out at you. This isn't the weather app, you know, where you just kind of look quickly to see, you know, what you need to do to prepare for today. No, you, you dig into it, and you, you read it, and you study it, and you research, and, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it, because this is the Word of God, and He's talking to us. Are you with me? And don't skip over that third one there. They have overcome the evil one. Now, if I can say something to you guys just quickly, I don't care what your politics are or what you think about guys and girls. If this is truly the word of God, then he has given us men a responsibility, a role, if you will, to be the heads of our homes, okay? Now, one of the things that I think that you ought to do as the head of your home is fight the evil one for your family, okay? You wake up early in the morning, 
before you have to be at work. And you spend time on your knees in prayer and in this word so that you know it and so it will abide in you. I'm kind of known as like a jack of all trades, master of none. You heard that saying? You know, I can kind of do a lot of things, but I'm not really great at any of them. So the part of that, I I think it's because I'm easily distracted. You know, I learn how to do something, then I jump to something else, and I jump to something else. I'm just looking for what's new and what's next, okay? I play, you know, there's a handful of you that can beat me in a sport. Most of you can't. (laughs) In all sports, okay? Now, that small percentage are the best people at what they do. That's fine. I'm not the best at anything. I'm okay with that. But sometimes it's because I feel like, you know, I got lots of roles. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a sports fan. I'm a taxi driver to dance. I help with the laundry. I help with the dishes. I help with the cooking. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a friend. I'm a lot of things. So I think, like, if I just had one role, you know, like I woke up and for 18 hours I just did that one thing, I would be really good at that, okay? Really good. I want you to know something. The devil... He's got one thing to do, and he is really good at it. He don't even have to sleep. He's like a a spiritual angel. You know, he's supernatural, and he's been doing it for a long time. You know what his one thing to do is? Destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. He wants to destroy my marriage. He wants to destroy our families, our churches. And if you don't fight against him, good luck with that. His only job is to destroy And let me tell you, the only thing that overcomes the evil one, the word of God. That's why when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he kept throwing the word of God back at him. Eventually, Satan just gave up and left. Do you want Satan to leave your home? You want him to leave your family alone? And get up early in the morning and do the work of being in prayer and abiding in his word so that when the devil comes knocking, you'll have something to say back to him that will make him want to leave. When you don't have anything to say, he just keeps coming. All right, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make anybody upset. Let's move on. So, John says, in light of all these things, in light of the fact that you're forgiven, in light of the fact that you know the Father, in light of the fact that you've overcome the evil one and that his word abides in you, do not love the world. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, the first thing we need to do is figure out what does John mean by the word world? Okay, do not love the world. Because in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, what does it say? Our most famous verse in the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. Okay, well here, in 1 John, the word world is not being used in the same way. It is a negative term. It means the fallen world. It means the world that is marred by sin. It doesn't mean the people that are in the world, because God loves every one of those people, and he gave his Son for them. So what we're talking about here is worldly attitudes or values that are opposed to God. Are you with me? So do not love the world or the things of the world in that way. Now, as I read this, 
the first question that came to my mind was, why does John have to say this to these people? They're Christians. He just got done telling them that they're forgiven, that they're strong, that they have overcome the evil one, that the word of God abides in them. But here's the deal. For now, they still live in the world. And although they have been saved, their flesh still lives in them. John Stott says that Christian people have entered into a great inheritance in the forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God, and the conquest of the evil one, but their temptations have not come to an end. Can I get an amen? Some of us were tempted this morning. It's 1120. We've already been dealing with temptation, right? And those temptations in some form or another, they pull us into loving the world instead of loving God. The Apostle Paul, he also knew the danger of loving the world. He wrote in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I read a story that told me that in 1979, I was two, In 1979, the government introduced the Susan B. Anthony dollar. Have you ever seen one of these? Okay, well, there was apparently a lot of um, resistance by the public to it because it was a small coin. It was designed mainly to be a durable, lightweight alternative to the paper dollar. The problem was it was exactly almost the same size as a quarter, and it was just a nuisance. You know, you had to look at it and decide if somebody gave you 25 cents instead of 100 cents. And legally, it was worth a dollar, but practically speaking, uh, it was just a, it couldn't be distinguished because of its size. What I want to say is, I think that's a great illustration because the same thing happens when non-Christians see a Christian who claims to be a Christ follower, but he can't be distinguished from the world that he lives in. It's confusing. Do people get confused when they watch you and when they listen to you? Or does your claim of being a Christian match up with the life that you put on display? John gives us two reasons here for his command to not love the world. The first one is this incompatibility of love for the world with love for God. He says we can't, you can't do both. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have it both ways, he says. James, in his letter, he put the person who loves the world against God. You adulterous people, James chapter 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot love the world and God. We will try, won't we? But we cannot, and we have to choose which one will be our God. See, believing in God is not the same thing as having faith in God. In the book of James, chapter 2 says the demons believe in God and they even shudder. Faith in God is more like trusting in him, relying on him, depending on him. 
So the question to determine if we are in love with the world or if we are in love with God is, who do we rely on? Who do we depend on? Who do we trust? Do we trust, rely on, and depend on God, or do we trust, rely, and depend on things of this world? It won't take you long to answer that honestly. He lists three things here that are not of God, things that are in this world that we cannot love. The first one, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. These are just general, immoral cravings. You know what they are. It's, it's those immoral desires or cravings for, for sexual um, pleasure or for money or for popularity or for power or for whatever it is. It's those things that we just crave of the world. The number two thing he says is the desires of the eyes. It always starts with the eyes, doesn't it? Things of this world look so good to us. It started with the eyes in Genesis 3. You'll remember this story. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent says to her, You won't die, for God knows that when you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. You know, I, I bet that Satan made that fruit, whatever the fruit was. My daughter told me it was an apple. I told her to please show me where it said it was an apple. But I guess we all think that she ate the apple. Whatever it was, I bet it was the best-looking apple that it had ever looked. Satan, he has a way of making things just look so irresistible, doesn't he? And then they end up not being as good as they, they looked. Because as soon as she took a bite, what happened? Oh, her eyes were open. And what, what she thought was going to happen isn't really what happened. It also started with the eyes in 2 Samuel. You'll probably remember this story. It happened late one afternoon. David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. First chance he had to stop. He said, oh, look, there's a really good-looking naked woman taking a bath. I should run inside right now. He didn't do that. He said, David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Second chance he had to stop. Oh, this naked woman bathing is someone else's wife. I should go inside, take a cold shower. He didn't. <laughs> so David sent messages, messengers, and he took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. It started with his eyes. He saw something, he wanted it, and he took it. But it ended up not being all that he bargained for, was it? Woo. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and number three is the pride of life. The word here for life has a range of meanings. It could mean life or livelihood, living. It could even mean property or possessions. So that pride of life. You know, uh, the pride of the things that we have and that we've accomplished. Pride will get, it'll get you, won't you? Won't it? I know you know the saying, pride comes before the, the fall. 
I taught that one to Braxton real early. I still don't let him win anything. Now, I'm not sure, but that quote might come from this story that I read, okay? A minister, a Boy Scout, and a computer expert were the only passengers on a small plane. Pilot came back to the cabin and said, hey, this plane is going down and there's only four or three parachutes and there's four of us. And the pilot added, um, I have a wife and three small children, so I think I should get one of the parachutes. And he grabbed one and just jumped. The computer whiz spoke up next. He said, well, <laughs> I should have one of the parachutes because I am the smartest man in the world and everyone needs me. So he took one and jumped. Minister turned to the boy scout and, you know, he kind of sadly smiled. He said, you're young. I've lived a really rich life, so you take that last parachute and, and I'll go down with the plane. Boy scout said, relax, reverend. Smartest man in the world just picked up my knapsack and jumped. Pride comes before the fall. A long fall, fast fall. Yeah. We feel good about ourselves, don't we? When we know that we're winning in life. You know, when we know our house is nicer than everybody else's house or when we pull up in a really brand new car, we feel good inside. Or when we get celebrated because of our accomplishments, it bubbles up real fast, doesn't it? Mm. John says, though, this pride of life is not our God, and if we love it and if we live for it, it means that we love the world and we don't love our God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we cannot have both. This is more than enough reason for any believer to not love the world. We want the love of God to be in us. However, there is another reason why believers should not love the world, and it's spelled out here in verse 17. Look with me. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the first reason to not love the world is it's incompatible to love the world and love God. And number two, the fleeting nature of the world as contrasted with the eternity of those who do God's will. See, the permanent appearance of the world is deceptive, okay? History is not an endless cycle, but it is speeding toward a conclusion that is willed by God. This world will come to an end, and God has already decided exactly what day that that's going to happen. Now, in contrast to the fleeting nature of the world, John says that those who know God will live forever with God. St. Augustine, when he was preaching on this exact passage, he said, hold fast to Christ. For you, he became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. You know the very familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 40. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen? The grass does wither. The flowers fade. We just saw firsthand how... Mother Nature can take away things very fast. Even the things that mighty strong men have built, gone. Brand new car eventually ends up in a junk pile. Fancy brand new clothes, I've seen it. They get sold for like a dollar at a garage sale. It happens every weekend. This world is fading away. Don't get caught in the trap of loving something that won't even be here much longer. That's what John is saying. 
This is temporary. God is eternal. I'll tell you one last story. When we were kids, uh, we would go every summer to Glorieta, New Mexico. That's one of the Baptist conference centers, if you don't know, if you didn't grow up Southern Baptist. Anyways, now New Mexico, that sounds really close to Texas because they're next to each other. But where I lived in Texas, it took two days to get to Glorieta, New Mexico. But me and my brother, we liked that trip every summer. My mom and dad always had to go to Sunday school week, and we would get to play around in, in the mountains there in Glorieta. One time on our road trip there, we stopped at the Rio Grande River, and me and Johnny, we got out, and we skipped rocks, you know, and we had a contest, and I beat him, and <laughs> threw sticks, and, you know, whatever. I, I can skip a rock. Whatever else little boys do by the river. You know, we played and that kind of thing. Well, kind of like on the edge of the water, right where we were standing, were these beautiful rocks. You've seen this. They're shiny and all kinds of colors, blues and purples and greens. Have you ever seen that? Well, in our little minds, we thought we just found treasure. You know, we ran back to the car. We're looking for stuff. We found a bucket, and we started picking up these rocks, as many as that bucket would hold. Well, eventually we got back in the minivan, and headed back on our way to Glorieta, New Mexico. Now, it didn't take long, I'll tell you, before those rocks dried. And you know what happened. We, we looked in our bucket, and all we had was a bunch of boring gray rocks. Their shine and their beautiful color was gone. Now, imagine if my brother Johnny and I had traded our relationship with God for those shiny, beautiful rocks, only to find that later... The beauty had faded away. That's what John is telling us today. Saying, don't love the world or the things of this world because they are fading away faster than you can imagine. Satan is so good at making things look very attractive to us. Man, we see things, we, we, we see someone else that we are attracted to, and then we let our minds run too far. We see something that we really want that would make us feel good, but we know we can't afford it. And the next thing you know, we have a credit card to help us pay for it. He makes things look so good, and the, almost the moment we have them, doesn't it fade away? That, that feeling is like gone. Next thing you know, you get the brand new iPhone, and then you can't wait for the next one. You just spent $1,000, and you're already thinking about what the next one will give you that this one didn't. You earned that $1,000 by working so hard, and you spend it, and now you can't even wait to get the next one and do it again. Satan does that. He tricks us into, into making everything look so pretty, so attractive, but it fades. So this is the last thing I'll say. I got something to say to both, both sets of people here today. Christian, you are forgiven. You know the Father. You have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world. Let the word of God abide in you and let love for God be your daily ambition, okay? Now, to the not yet Christians. I call you that instead of non-Christian because you're here today. God's been speaking to you. I know that. So probably you're just a not yet Christian. The world that you love is fading away. It looks really shiny and beautiful sometimes, but the only thing that will last is the Word of God. It is time for you to trade your love for this passing world for the one who wants to give you eternity, 
better than you can ever imagine, better than anything this world has to offer, I promise. It's time to make that choice. Let's pray. Father, we are excited to be able to read your word. We are thankful that you left it for us. We know that it will live forever. It will always guide us. It will always protect us. It will never let us down. We can't say that about the things of this world. We know that. We've already been let down by the things of this world, yet for some reason, we continue to run back to that well. Some reason we end up acting surprised when that well dries up and the beauty fades away, and yet we run back to it again anyway. Father, remind us of your love and grace and mercy. Help us to fix our eyes on you. I pray that we would do the work, hard effort, of spending time in your word, abiding in it, so that when Satan comes knocking on our door, we can make him turn and run the other way because we have the word of God coming out of our mouths. Protect our homes and our families, Father. Help us to not love the world. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the maker and creator of all things. We thank you for the cross and that you've made a way for us to be made right again with you. We don't deserve it, but it's all grace and we receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.